What's up, everybody out there? Welcome into another edition of your favorite Avalanche podcast. It's Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast, presented by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster with your host, J.J. Jerez, that's me, and of course, Arif Dean, and we got Patrick Stedman on the controls. We're here for our typical Sunday podcast. We're getting back in the swing, back in the routine, so, you know, sit back, get comfortable, and enjoy the next, uh, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour with us talking Avs hockey. Arif, a really great game. Went down at Ball Arena last night. We're again. It's Sunday. Last night was Saturday against the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know, I think we all wanted this to be a revenge game for what happened when the Avalanche flew to Toronto, right? And Jonas Johansson had to play. But I think a lot of a lot of us in Avalanche land kind of had the excuse, like, yeah, the Avalanche weren't in their best form when they were up there in Toronto. Once Toronto's in Ball Arena, the Avalanche are just going to absolutely pound. The Maple Leafs, they're missing Mitch Marner due to COVID. But no, turns out the Toronto Maple Leafs are a legitimate team. Yeah, they're good and they they're 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 loaded. They're stacked top to bottom. They've got the offense, they've got the star power. Um and what I love about what you just said about that whole revenge thing. So there's a couple things for me. Number one, like you said, the Avalanche had no excuses. When we asked Jared Bedner about it after practice on Friday, he said, uh, Something along the lines of, yeah, no, there's no excuse for what happened in Toronto, even though, you know, we dealt with some adversity, we did not play a good game at all. And I mean, they didn't do it. Yo- Jonas Johansson is bad. And I know this, but he's not eight goals bad. He's like four and a half, maybe five goals against a star studded team like Toronto bad, but eight goals like those Austin Matthews goals. He was hung out to dry. So the Avs didn't play well and they knew it. Um, and the second thing that really stuck out to me was the fact that the Avalanche were thinking of this as a payback game too. Miko Ranton and said it. He said, we talked about before the game what happened in Toronto and we wanted to get our payback. And then he gave my, one of one of my two quotes of the night was, we're not going to lose that easy, you know, pertaining to when they went down 3 nothing there early in the first period. So yeah, Toronto did come out strong. Austin Matthews did score two more goals against a team that he had a hat trick against 38 days earlier. It was a good team. It was a great game. It was a hockey night in Canada game, so all of Canada was watching that game. And man, was Ball Arena loud. Yeah, let's get into that 3-0 deficit to start the game. I think I think it's been since the new year, if not longer, that the Avalanche have consecutively started off the game not scoring the first goal. So really putting themselves behind. Last night, putting themselves down 3 nothing. A tough hill to climb, but you know this team's up for it, right? You know this team's going to pick themselves up by their pants and and just get to work and do the things they need to do. I mean, we see it all the time. We comment all the time about how they don't typically play the full 60 minutes. So once again, you felt that coming. You saw it coming. You felt like they were going to, they maybe dug themselves too deep of a hole. But no, I mean, that Nathan McKinnon goal before they got out of the first period really, I guess, turned it into a game and I guess boosted a little confidence in the team. I mean, they played probably a 48-minute game yesterday. Because mm-hmm. they started strong. They had the first seven shots. They were dominating Toronto. They couldn't beat the goalie, which we'll get to in a sec. And then they went down 3 nothing. Kemper gets pulled. Pavel Francouz gets thrown to the Wolves like he was in Nashville last month. Welcome back to the NHL. Welcome back to playing a home game for the first time since the night the sports world changed on March 11, 2020, Pavel. We're going to put you up against the Toronto Maple Leafs. Down 3 to nothing against the goalie that doesn't let in goals. Congratulations. Have fun. So... Nothing about that game was stacked in the Avalanche's favor, but again, the Kale McCarr goal, sorry, the Nathan McKinnon goal was huge there. Kale McCarr in the second period after they went down 4-1 to one was also huge. 
But like you said, they've been trailing early in a lot of games. So they just played a four-game week, which is mind-boggling to me. Last Sunday, you and I got back together for that game against the Anaheim Ducks, and it was the first one in a really long time. And they've played four games since. Against the Anaheim Ducks, they trailed 2 nothing at home before scoring four straight goals. Obviously, they got the first goal in Chicago and had to win in overtime. But then against Winnipeg, they trailed one nothing at home and then scored seven straight. And then here against the Toronto Maple Leafs, they trailed 3 nothing at home. They trailed 4-1 to at home. And then they scored four straight to win it again. So that's three come-from-behind victories in a row at Ball Arena to get that record of 11 straight home wins. But the part that makes it all the more impressive and incredible for me is the goalie they played at the other end. And it's Jack Campbell, how excellent he's been all season and what they had to do to beat this guy. Yeah, I mean, he. Uh, we knew coming into it, he's a good goalie, right? I mean, he's leading the odds right now in Vesna. So, um, you know, I don't think that was a surprise. And he came and played. I mean, the Avalanche were able to break him down. I mean, they did score five goals on him. So I wouldn't say he's, he played spectacularly. He wasn't at John Gibson status that we saw earlier in the week. He faced 49 shots. John Gibson didn't. I mean, it was really weird. He faced 50, and then the shot counter... The game ended at 50, and then it was changed to 51, and then it was changed to 49. So whoever was controlling the shot counter kept second-guessing what the heck was going on after the final buzzer, but he faced 49 shots. He saw a lot of puck. Yeah, and you know he was feeling it. I mean, when he made that diving catch save right right into his glove I mean that's when you know he's locked in so a lot of the goals that the Avalanche did score had to come off of a deflection of some sort or a rebound you know something crazy getting traffic yep. of the net but hey or the Avalanche... just a nice and smooth Kale McCarr shot sorry I had to throw that in there because he's got right, a beauty. classic right go for it just walking that, that's his uh, go-to shot now just walking that top line unleashing a wrist shot um but yeah I I guess um what I was saying is the Avalanche have just done such a good job this year of getting into those dangerous areas, getting into the house. I remember last year at one point I was saying, this team's not getting into the dangerous parts. This team's not, they're just letting Landis guy get in front of the net and leaving him all by himself. Now the rest of the guys are getting there, causing some havoc for the visiting goalies. And yeah, even if they're playing their A game, like we've seen Gibson, like we've seen Campbell, the Avalanche are still finding ways to persevere through hot goalies, which is such a great sign. Yeah, so let's go ahead and break those down. The first one, Nathan McKinnon finishes up a passing play that went Taves, Rantanen, Landeskog, McKinnon, or something of the like. Taves, McKinnon, Rantanen, Landeskog. So Taves didn't get the assist on that because he was the fourth guy, but he started that rush up the ice. McKinnon's shot hit off the stick of Morgan Riley and squeaked past Jack Campbell. Granted, mm-hmm. it was McKinnon right in, the, right in his wheelhouse, right between the hash marks. But man, does Toronto get a stick in every freaking lane, the passing lane, the shooting lane. They were so active with their stick yesterday. It's It was one of the more impressive parts of their game. So that's the first goal. The second goal is the Kale McCarr beauty of a shot. I don't care who you are. You're not stopping that. The third goal comes a minute after Jack Campbell makes a diving save on Devon Taves. And let's remember that name. Just an unbelievable save to the point where you had that look, not you, not like you as in the reader or the listener, but you had that view of Nazem Kadri putting his hands like up on his head, like, oh my God, are you serious? You know how bad Kadri wants to beat this team. And that third goal was from Gabe Landeskog. It just barely crossed the line. Like Jack almost had it. And then the fourth goal, the only reason why that damn thing went in is because Miko Rantanen faked out the entire crowd, the entire press box, the goalie, and the entire world with that behind-the-net no-look pass. 
And uh, it was because of the battle of who they were on the ice with. And we'll get to that in a sec. I have some observations on that. But he makes this no look pass to JT Comfer where Jack Campbell has no idea where the puck is. Nobody did. Everybody was looking to the right. And the puck was on the left-hand side on JT Comfer's stick for the goal. And then obviously probably the worst goal he let in, and it was not even a bad goal, was the fact that Devon Taves came in all alone because Austin Matthews was gassed in overtime and snuck it past him five-hole to win the game for the Avalanche. It was just an excellent game from him. And I got to go back to the podcast we did about two weeks ago. If you guys are wondering why I was gushing over Jack Campbell, I've only watched like five Maple Leafs games this year and two of them were against the Avalanche. Maybe like six or seven and two of them were against the Avalanche. But he does this every single night. There's a reason why I was gushing over this guy and what he did yesterday was pretty much the epitome of what this guy has brought to the Toronto Maple Leafs over the last couple seasons. Yeah, definitely huge shout out to JT Comfort for being able to bury that fourth goal and not just, you know, hitting Jack Campbell with it. He put it right where he needed to, had a split second to make that move, and he executed it perfectly. And then, yeah, I loved that Nazem Kadri reaction. I'm sure everybody did. Part of me was thinking, like, you know, of course Nazem Kadri is all in on Colorado Avalanche, but part of him will always have a piece of Toronto in his heart, right? So he's kind of playing to the Toronto crowd a little bit, saying, like, oh, hey, I'm still, you know, I'm still cool, right? You guys still like me? I, I thought that was an amazing save, and I'm showing it with my body language here. Wow. And I'm, so, I'm sure he, when he retires and all things are said and done, he's going to be a Toronto Maple Leaf fan. So he kind of, you know, again, I think he was playing to the Maple Leaf crowd a little bit by doing that. Uh, I don't know. That looked like a guy to me that was gutted that the puck wouldn't go in the net or didn't go in the net in a four to two game with less, you know, with a little less than 11 minutes left. It's just, it's, it was an incredible save all around. Yeah. I'll give it to him because he gloved it, right? If he just dives and it hits him, then it's a cool save. But the fact that he gloved it looking like Nolan Arenado out there making plays, uh, you know, I thought it it was pretty awesome. I went with, uh, I went with Gianluigi Buffon. That's the comparison that I went with. I don't know why I went with the Italian goalie. I'm a France fan, but you know, you don't really see Fabian Bartez or whoever the hell plays goalie now. Hugo Lloris <laughs> Fabian making those Bartez, kind of saves, that's so. like a 25-year-old <laughs> reference. That's my old school reference because that's the Zaydan era goalie. <laughs> Love that guy. He, but he was like five foot seven. He wouldn't have made it that side of the crease if he dove for it. Yeah, so um, I remember, man, it was always almost a month ago already when Florida was in Ball Arena and we all were wowed by such an amazing game that the Avalanche played against the Panthers and everybody was saying, oh, this could very well be the Stanley Cup final preview here. Well, you can say the same thing about the Toronto Maple Leaf game, right? So I guess, in your opinion, who's more likely to face Colorado in a final? Is it Florida or is it Toronto? It's whoever comes out of that game freaking slaughterhouse of a division that includes the Tampa Bay Lightning. But uh, I'm going to give the edge to Florida right now, but it's contingent on what the Toronto Maple Leafs do at the trade deadline because there's a particular defenseman that plays for the Arizona Coyotes that's on the block that the Toronto Maple Leafs want. And if they get Jacob Chikrin, it's going to be a good team. So they're kind of missing one more quality guy on the blue line because their defense does not match up to the avalanche, not even a little bit. Kel McCarr is far better than Morgan Riley. Devon Taves as, as the defensive guy and still can put up points is far better than TJ Brody. Then you get to the third pair, Jake Muzzin, Sam Gerrard. Those are your number three defensemen. Just depends on 
the role either one is playing. And then Justin Hall goes up against Bowen Byram. You know who you're taking there. And then you got Eric Johnson and Ryan Murray versus, you know, a rookie and Rasmus Sandin and whoever their number six guy is. I'm, I, it's not coming to me right now. Uh, between Travis Dermott and and, and uh, Liljegren, they, they've got a lot of guys there, but they're just missing one more quality player. And it's Jacob Chikrin is the guy that if they can bring him in, I genuinely think they're going to erase the ghosts of past seasons of being unable to get out of the first round and really make a difference this year. Because if that's the Stanley Cup final, we're going to get, and it's going to be Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner, who was missing, and John Tavares and William Nylander against Landeskog, McKinnon, Rantanen, and Kadri. And then you still got defensemen in Morgan Riley and Kel McCarr that are exciting. Man, that'll be fun. Yeah, I mean, that's something that the hockey world has been anticipating for several years now, right? But let's get into Austin Matthews a little bit. Five goals against the Avalanche in two games. Obviously, turning himself into an avalanche killer joining Philip Forsberg among many other names, right? So Zach Parise. Yeah, exactly. There's a couple of them. Colton Sissons for some reason. Yeah, so uh, I guess, you know, what is it about Austin Matthews game? Obviously, he's just a a premier goal scorer in the league, but something about him is making him... uh, Chomp, I guess his mouth water when he uh, sees the avalanche on the on the schedule. He's incredible. <laughs> like uh, that's that's the best way to put it. He's got 21 goals in his last 23 games after starting the season uh, a little bit slower. He's found his stride. He's going to win a lot of Rocket Richard trophies, uh, and he's he's just a monster, dude. I tweeted this yesterday. It's not just the fact that he's a good sco- goal scorer. It's the fact that he's physical. He's got this wide frame. He's huge. And he can find his way into the crease like he did yesterday twice, right in front of the avalanche crease like he did in Toronto a couple times and kind of hung Jonas Johansson out to dry with a couple of silky moves. His goals come from right in front of the net. And he parks himself there, and it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're Eric Johnson, whether you're Jack Johnson, or you know one of the smaller guys who still have some uh, strength in them, like Kale McCarr and Devon Taves. It doesn't matter who you are. You're not moving him from that position when he gets there and then if the puck's on his stick he's going to do what he does best and it's score goals it was it was an incredible showing and it was one of those things where I was like oh boy as a guy that listens to a lot of Toronto centric radio shows and podcasts and Toronto's the hockey capital of of the world and their everything is about the Toronto Maple Leafs I was ready and preparing for a Monday of all of the talk shows being about Austin Matthews and how incredible he is against the Avalanche which it probably still will be but it'll be overshadowed by the fact that the Avalanche came back and won that game. Well, I think you look at that game and it was just a hockey fan's treat, right? You look up and down the score sheet and it's all the big names on it. I mean, Austin Matthews on there a couple of times, Nathan McKinnon, Miko Ranton, and Landeskog, Taves, McCarr, uh, you know, Jake Muzzin, Wayne Simmons. You're seeing the, the guys you pay a ticket to watch perform. You saw them performing last night, and, and Nathan and McKinnon, then the yeah, and then Nathan McKinnon has been nothing short of spectacular lately. So the the stars were shining last night. They absolutely were, and 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 it was one of those things. Jared Bednar said this uh, post game, and then the same thing was repeated on a Toronto radio show that I listened to with Gord Stelic uh, after the game on Sportsnet. Jared said, "I was talking, or Joe Joe mentioned. I'm guessing in the locker room right before he came out to us. <clears throat> he goes." Joe mentioned that this was the type of game that if you bring a friend or someone to watch their first game ever in person or on TV, 
they're going to watch this kind of game and they're going to get hooked. Because the cool thing about this kind of game is that it wasn't a flash in the pan. It was two really good teams scoring a 5-4 game. Like a 5-4 game is not a flash in the pan. This isn't bringing someone out to a game where it's like 8-7, to seven, where it's like, uh, yeah, this is fun and you're going to enjoy it. But uh, also, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you might see this once a, once a year, if even that. No, it was a very good quality 5-4 to four game where the stars showed up, the goalies made incredible saves, and there was still a lot of goals. So that's the kind of game that builds hockey fans. That's the kind of game that you want to market. And it goes back to what we said last week uh, or earlier in the week with the Kel McCarr overtime game-winning goal. Market the crap out of your superstars when they do things like what the Avalanche and the Maple Leafs did yesterday. When they do things like what Kel McCarr did against the Chicago Blackhawks and win over some new fans. Because that was an incredible game yesterday. It was star-studded, and again, it goes back to what we just were talking about. If this is a Stanley Cup final, even if the Stanley Cup you know, and the playoffs are played a little bit differently, this is still going to be a star-studded matchup where the offense skills and muscles are going to be flexed. Uh, how about Nathan McKinnon just deciding he's shooting the puck at a ridiculous rate, right? I mean, I love the over-under going into that game at three and a half. Of course, it was only a minus 145 because everybody knew it was going over, but to hit 12... Shots on goal. I mean, this guy's obviously tired of not scoring goals, and he gets one last night. So I guess good on him for shooting the puck. It's it's a crazy volume, but hey, he's got to do what he's got to do to bury him. The most incredible thing about it is, uh, again, this goes back to something I wrote about on Friday. Jared said going into the Winnipeg, or not going into the Winnipeg game, going into the new year, Ian McKinnon were having conversations about him needing to shoot the puck more. And you're like, what? You know, again, this is McKinnon that came into the year with three goals on the season before the uh, holiday break and the COVID pause. He goes, McKinnon needs to shoot the puck more. So you go back and you look at the numbers and you're like, uh, McKinnon is shooting at a higher rate, at a higher volume than he was in past seasons. He's still shooting the puck. He's just snake bit. And then you go on to listen to Jared say he's shooting the puck a lot. Yes, but he's passing up a lot of opportunities that he otherwise would not. And we've seen that. Think about the 20-something games the Avalanche played before the COVID pause and before January 2nd. Yeah, I mean, we've pointed it there out. Was, yeah, there was a lot of times McKinnon's coming in through the slot and it's like, oh my God, he's going to shoot this. And he throws it to like the far circle to Rantanen, who sometimes scores, sometimes doesn't, or drops it back to Makar. Or what we talked about last week when he waited to the last possible moment and passed it to Logan O'Connor. And I looked to you and said, if he missed that, I was going to say... I was going to look to you and say McKinnon needed to shoot that. Like he's been giving up a lot of opportunities to shoot the puck. And Jared literally had to take one of the superstars in the NHL, one of the best players in the world, a premier shooter and goal scorer, and sit him down and be like, hey, maybe shoot the puck more. And McKinnon goes, yeah, maybe I should shoot the puck more. Back to the basics. Well, the conversation worked. He had eight shots against Winnipeg. He had another freaking 12 on Jack Campbell and the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he's got a goal in each game. And he's also got a hell of a lot of assists to go with it in the last couple of games. So whatever it is that that conversation was discussing and, and, and what the plan was, it's worked. Because what Nathan McKinnon has done these last three, four games, remember, not even last three, four, let's just say the last two games. Let's just go strictly Winnipeg and Toronto. After the Chicago game, there was a lot of discussions that people were having about uh, step aside Nathan McKinnon. I hate to say this, but Kale McCarr is the best player on this team. And McKinnon came back and for the last two games said, hey, remember me? I am the premier player in the NHL up there with Connor McDavid. And now if you look at the points per game rankings, beating Connor McDavid, 
is won Nathan McKinnon in first place in the NHL. It's incredible the turnaround he's had these last couple games. I'm curious as to Nathan McKinnon's career shooting percentage, but correct me if I'm wrong here. Uh, I can think back all the way to the Patrick Waugh years with this team and this core. How And Jared Bednar, I feel like we've heard him say it millions of times since he started here, how this team often is trying to find the too pretty of play, right? They're trying to make the perfect yeah. pass and the perfect goal. And you're kind of seeing them get to that a lot lately because they're so good at passing. They're so good at snapping that puck around and finding the open man that you're seeing a lot of times even uh, their own teammates aren't expecting such a, a, a smart pass across you know, across the crease, right? They're like, oh, I thought you were going to shoot that or nobody was there. They're always looking for that extra pretty pass, even if it's not there. So um, I, I guess that's... Oh, that has a lot to do with it, right? It's kind of Nathan McKinnon's the one that drives the offense. So if he's the one that's looking for the pretty pass, you know, the other guys are going to follow suit. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and uh, the thing is, a lot of times they are looking for the pretty pass, but a lot of times, like you said, they're just such an incredible team with, with moving the puck that it kind of looks like it. So think back to that first goal yesterday. Taves has this breakout, brings it into the Maple Leaf zone, and then it goes from Taves to Landeskog, to Rantanen, drop to McKinnon, and McKinnon's in the slot with the puck. What I like about what McKinnon did there is something that you know has to be part of this conversation with Jared is he shot the puck that even though Morgan Riley was in the lane and he had a stick in the lane, Nathan still shot the puck. He didn't try to make that one extra pass. So a lot of their passing and a lot of what looks like they're trying to look for that nice play is the fact that they're so incredible at it. They have such great passers on this team. All of them have playmaking uh, abilities. Um but at the same time, yes, yeah, sometimes they are looking for that extra pass. But what I've seen the last couple of games is a team that's using their skill to generate opportunities. And when the time is right, they're shooting the puck. They're not waiting or making that one extra pass like they were, you know, maybe a week or two ago or a month ago because of this COVID pause. All right. So I pulled it up. It looks like Nathan McKinnon right now. He sits at a 9.8 yep. percent. So I was just looking at that. So that tells me it's basically 10 percent. So one out of every 10 shots of his goes in. So if I'm Jared Bednar, why are you not saying, hey, I need you to at least shoot 10 shots a game, and boom, you, you, they're, they're your <laughs> and goals. what do you know? What do you know? Eight against Winnipeg, 12 against Toronto, 20 shots, two goals. Wow, crazy how, how yeah. the math works out like that. I can math too. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, he's, he's at a 5.3 shooting percentage this season, and the funny thing is, I'm curious what that number looked like before these two games because he had three goals. You know, he's nearly doubled his goal totals in two games. He was a 9.7 last season, earlier in 2021, which is right on par with that 9.8. But those three years coming out of the Matt Duchesne era was a 13.7 and 11.2 and an 11. So he kind of took a little bit of a dip back last year and a little bit more of a dip this year. I'd say Nathan McKinnon is more up there in the 10.5 to 12% range, and he'll get back there. Yeah, so there you go. Keep shooting the puck at least 10 times a game, and you're burying at least one. I'm, I'm with it. So... Um, one thing I guess that was surprising from the Avalanche standpoint in scoring that many goals and being able to come back in the game was the power play went 0 for 4, right? We've been talking about how, I guess, potent of a group that is, and uh, especially when you're trying to come back, and the, the Avalanche did get a couple power play opportunities. You think, all right, this is exactly what they needed to get them where they need to be, and they weren't able to capitalize. So all the more surprising that they were able to come back without the power of the power play. Yeah, and they're still uh, seventh best in the NHL, shoot, are scoring at a 24% rate. I will say that there's two power plays specifically. There was one early in the game and one later in the game. Not the last one, but the one before that, where they looked incredible and they just couldn't beat Campbell. So 
there wasn't anything about their power play that was lacking yesterday, but I guess they kind of, you know, it was offset by the fact that five on five, this is kind of what I wanted to get into earlier, but let's finish the power play discussion first is uh, the matchups that they had five on five were, were heavily in the avalanche's favor. But going back to the power play, I think if you play the way you played against the Toronto Maple Leafs every single time you're on the power play, which is what they've done pretty much all season, you're going to score one out of every four chances. They went 0 for 4 yesterday, but they're 24% on the season. They're basically scoring one out of every four. And hey, I I think it's a good sign to go 0 for 4 and still come out with a win. You'd hate to go 0 for 4 and then lose, and then you you got to get right back on the horse and try to figure things out they're they're changing the tune and that's what i like about it is again think about it you you've come back from this crazy deficit you put a goalie in net that hasn't played in god knows how long you got it to overtime and overtime is starting with austin matthews on the ice and you're like oh boy we just had a power play opportunity they killed it off here's austin matthews another hat trick another game winner the avalanche are gonna lose but no they won another three on three overtime just like they did four or five days ago against the chicago blackhawks they're changing the tune the pattern of what is usually they sometimes don't finish those comebacks. They sometimes make it to overtime and lose three on three. Suddenly that's changing. If their power play is successful, they win. If their power play is not, they lose. That's changing. Good teams figure out ways to win, right? And that's what this team is. Like Miko said, they're a good team, but so are we. <laughs> Let's get into the goaltending. I think that was a major topic because well, first uh, I do want to mention, I do want to okay. mention really quickly. So what I really, really liked about Jared Bednar's game yesterday, when you go and look at the numbers, is So the Avalanche got the Toronto Maple Leafs pretty much on their heels, and they were gassed, man. This was a team that was freaking exhausted. The altitude, the fact that they don't play a lot of games, blah, blah, blah. I know people like to use that altitude excuse. I don't always love it. But the Toronto Maple Leafs enter the third period down two goals, trying to roll four lines against an Avalanche team where Curtis McDermott didn't play a shift in the last uh, period, nor did he in overtime. And he only played one shift for 17 seconds in the second period. So they already shortened their bench. Darren Helm only played seven minutes and 49 seconds, rarely saw ice in the third period, shortened the bench there. Tyson Jones played 11 minutes. He was the next best thing, uh, which is a little bit more than those last two guys. But without Helm and McDermott playing big minutes, the Avs shortened the bench. So what that did against a Leafs team that was exhausted, where their best guys, Austin Matthews, played less than 21 minutes, Tavares played less than 17 minutes. Nylander didn't even hit 20. They had to spread out their ice time because everybody was exhausted. So whenever they rolled out the fourth line, jumping over the board was Nathan McKinnon, Miko Rantanen, and Gabe Landeskog. So it kind of like stung the Maple Leafs. The fact that the Avalanche shortened their bench, had their feet under them, they were going to the point where go back and look at the replay of the Miko Rantanen pass to JT Comfer. The guy covering Miko Rantanen Arguably the best right winger in the NHL, right up there with who, I don't know, Artemi Panarin, one of the top players in the league, was Kyle Clifford. That's the guy that they had on the ice against Miko Rantanen. Of course he's going to make a play like that. That's an awesome observation, Arif. I love that. Great gamesmanship from coach. And hey, uh, you know, he kind of had to reach into his bag of tricks there once they went down early, right? He's like, all right, what do we have to do here to put put our foot on their throat and and not look back because we don't really have time. We can't afford many more mistakes or, you know, not capitalizing on the little time we have left. So that's, that's an awesome observation. And I wish, uh, yeah, thank you. I wish I took the time to look at the shift report completely for the third period. But what I saw was every single time you had Brett Sini and Kyle Clifford on the ice. And every single time you had Nick Ritchie on the ice playing in the bottom six role, you look at the avalanche's side, 
and McKinnon is jumping over the bench. Ranton is jumping over the bench. Landis Cog's jumping over the bench. And if those guys just finished a shift, oh, we'll just bring out Nazem Kadri, Burakovsky, and whoever's on the right wing there. So the Avalanche really, really stuck it to them five on five because of those matchups. That's when you have your your depth. That's when you have your skill. And uh, that's when you have your feet under you and you're not exhausted like the Leafs were. You can use that to your advantage. Yeah, when and you, you have get a coach, last change, you get last change because you're on home ice. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. When you have a coach that's smart enough to manipulate that, that's how you end up with 11 home game wins in a row, right? So he's really using that last change to his advantage, and he's making sure that he's, uh, you know, winning the chess match, which is something that I think, you know, especially when it comes to games in the past against the San Jose Sharks or Vegas Golden Knights or Pete DeBoer, if you just want to simplify it. <laughs> um, but uh, that's been yeah. kind of a critique of Jared Bednar's, right? He's kind of losing some chess matches. So f- to see him get the leg up on a chess match like that and, and win up here, the, the thought game against the, the opposing coaches is, is a great sign. If you're not learning from past failures, you're not learning. So looks like Jared is and, and you know, looks like the Avalanche are. So it's it's really good to see the way they're winning games this year. Dating back to that game against Florida before the COVID break, the game against the Rangers, how they came back against Anaheim, how they defeated Winnipeg just really, really easily. Earlier in the season, they beat Minnesota really well, St. Louis, and then obviously this Toronto game. It's just there's been a lot of games this year where they're winning in different ways than what we saw last season, which was Grubauer faces 20 shots, the Avalanche put up 50, and most of them in a 10-minute period where they score four goals and then sit back. So something about them is changing in a good way. Well, I guess now we can get into the goaltending. Uh, I, I almost got into it a little bit ago, but uh, I think that was the big conversation last night, right? We we were excited to see Darcy Kemper continue his streak and continue to uh, keep getting the starts and giving Francis some easy games to get back and get acclimated into the NHL, but it just didn't work out for him. The the script got flipped on him, and Darcy Kemper had a... Yeah, again, it's not his fault here, you know, but he had a tough start, and sometimes you just got to make a change for the sake of making change to wake the team up, and that's kind of what this uh, goaltender switch was. So seeing Pavel Francouz come in, only get scored on once, and technically save the game and, and end up with the W, I mean, you, you love to see Pavel Francouz back in net and performing. You absolutely love to see it, man. Pavel Francouz is... is he hasn't played again. I said it a little bit earlier. He hasn't played a game at ball arena since before it was called ball arena. It was March 11, 2020. It was the last game before the pause. And when I asked him about the game and you know, my biggest thing with Frankie yesterday was I wanted to get his idea of like, you know, you're, you're back in the NHL. You missed all of last season. You were injured in the bubble. And then you finally have this, you know, tandem goaltending with Darcy Kemper, your one and only preseason game, you get hurt in front of the home crowd and you're out again until December, like mid-December. Like it's just been a terrible string of just crap luck for this guy. And the whole purpose of what I wanted to get from him yesterday was after all of that, the two games that you play this season, the first one, you're thrown into a game in a COVID outbreak where Darcy Kemper tests positive an hour before a puck drops. So it's like, hey, you're playing. And the second one, you're playing one of the best teams in the NHL in the Toronto Maple Leafs. It's a 5 p.m. start. You skated in the morning, as Jared Bednar said, prepping for a game Monday against Seattle, which, by the way, Jared kind of low-key let it be known that Pavel Francouz is going to start against the Seattle Kraken on Monday. When he said that, he said... Pavel skated this morning to prepare, you know, before a five o'clock game, which again, five o'clock game is an early start. Like Pavel skated this morning to prepare for a game Monday against Seattle. 
and then Kemper gets pulled. You're down three to nothing, and you enter a game going up against the goalie on the other end that in order to beat him, you have to put at least four pucks past him. So you're coming into this game as Kemper, and you're going, if I'm going to let in any goals the rest of the way and give my team a chance to win, it's got to be one goal or zero. Because what are the chances we're going to even score four on Campbell, let alone five, or let alone six if I let in two goals? So despite all of that, Mr. Fransuz, how does it feel to come back in? And he gives, there's a reason why I said that the we're not going to win, we're not going to lose that easy quote was my second favorite quote, because my favorite one was from Pavel when he said, I just decided to take it minute by minute. After such a long time, I was just trying to enjoy every minute on the ice. This dude's not even caring about the fact that he's thrown and he's being thrown to the wolves. He's just like, I'm playing hockey and I'm freaking happy to be doing it again. Yeah, you, I mean, you brought it up earlier with Jonas Johansson having played the previous game in Toronto, and I feel like the magic of Toronto and playing the Maple Leafs kind of got to Jonas Johansson, right? That's how he ended up letting up eight goals ultimately, and I think it could have easily gotten to Francouz. Like you said, his last outing was in Nashville when he kind of got thrown to the Wolves and wasn't really prepared for it. Similar scenario here, and uh, he just he, he didn't let it get to his head like maybe Jonas Johansson might have. So, uh, yeah, good good for him to stay mentally strong and physically strong as well. So I love seeing him get back in the game. At first, you saw him kind of uh, a little bit shaky, you know, not really, I guess, ready to play. He's kind of slid himself out of the net by like six feet. <laughs> did you hear did, did you hear the Jared press conference after the game? No. What did he say? He goes, I wish I had this quote pulled up, but I don't. But uh, he says something along the line of, you know, he was rusty when he came in and he kind of laughed about it. He goes, in the second period, he kind of slid his way out of the crease a little bit. And we're like, whoa, where are you going? But, you know, he's rusty. Like, he's got to get his feedback <laughs> under him. The whole media room, we were all just laughing because it was hilarious. It was kind of like, hey, Pavel, what are you doing? What are you doing? But yeah, he did. He like took one step to the side and then kicked off the wrong pad and went even farther toward the circle. It was like, dude, the net's that way yeah he was just a little too excited maybe he gathered himself he was like all right calm down take this minute by minute take it minute by minute enjoy every minute on the ice only let in one goal made 18 saves what a guy yeah absolutely so let's see if he can get it going moving forward because just having that second option you can see how valuable it was right imagine you had to throw Jonas Johansson or Hunter Miska in net after being down three nothing you don't have that that luxury No, but it goes back to what you said. There's a reason why Jonas Johansson let in eight goals against Toronto last month. It's because his backup goalie was some guy named Jed Alexander. There was no way in hell he was going to get pulled. Goaler. One of my my favorite quotes in the NHL. I think it's, uh, who's the guy that coaches in Philly that just got fired? Uh, Elaine Vigneault, who used to coach the Vancouver Canucks. He goes, if my goaler is better than your goaler, we're going to win the game. If your goaler is better than my goaler, we're going to lose the game. And I love that word, goaler, (laughs) especially when a French Canadian says it. Uh, I guess this is a good time to take a second and tell you guys about Total Beverage, guys. Everybody already knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they deliver? Did you know that they have curbside pickup available? And did you know that they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again and stop by on 104th and Thornton or on Sheridan and Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at TotalBeverage.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more. So, Arif, that was the what have you done for me lately. I think everybody wants to talk about that game, so we had to start the podcast with that one. Just a really great game. So many things things happened that just were 
nuts, right? I mean, the Avs going down 3 nothing was all right. We, weren't, we didn't see that coming. And then the Avs making it all the way back and ultimately winning in, th- in three-on-three overtime. We didn't see that coming either. So just kind of a bipolar game. But Winnipeg wasn't so much. Winnipeg, again, they started off the game down one nothing, but said, all right, that's enough of this, and really turned it on and ended up scoring seven unanswered. Seven unanswered, five assists for Nathan McKinnon, a hat trick for Gabe Landeskog. Uh, Kale McCarr was on the score sheet. Nazem Kadri was on the score sheet. Uh, who am I missing from the top guys? Miko Rantanen was on the score sheet a bunch of times. It was it was the top stars destroying the Winnipeg Jets. Eric Johnson on the score sheet too. And this is a point oh, I brought up on the yes. hockey show yesterday, right? This is what I love to see. You just brought it up. Nathan McKinnon with five points. Gabe Landeskog with a hat trick. Eric Johnson with his third goal in two games. Those three guys, the core guys, because they've stuck around. They've been the guys who've been here for so long that were trying to build the team around. They were through the ups and through the downs. And those are the three guys bringing you the seven-goal game. I just loved that fact right there. Nathan McKinnon was brought to the avalanche in the era of Patrick Waugh. That's how long he's been around. Eric Johnson and Gabe Landeskog have been here since Joe Sacco was the head coach. Think about that. Bask in it. Yeah, crazy stuff, right? It goes back. It goes back to what Eric Johnson said that the game that Jack Johnson got bloodied up and he was like kind of like spitting blood on the ice and on Darcy Kemper's pad. He goes, "That was the most blood I've seen since Ryan O'Byrne took a stick to the took a skate to the face." And I'm like, "Holy crap! I forgot Eric Johnson was on this team when that Ryan O'Byrne thing happened. I think it was one of his teammates. Somebody's skate came up and clipped O'Byrne, and his face was like ripped open." That's how long he's been on this team. The Ryan O'Byrne, Shane O'Brien era of, of avalanche defensemen. Ryan Wilson. God, it's been a long time for those guys. But like you said, it's just great to see that they're the ones leading the charge. And then that was a case where uh, a good goalie came in and they kind of embarrassed him, right? I think I, we all expected Connor Hellebuck to have a better showing than that. And it kind of looked like he was going to for a while. But then the avalanche just broke through and it seemed like Winnipeg just completely lost confidence in themselves. They got broken down because it was yeah. a game for a while. It, it was really good. And then the Avalanche just had their way and said, just kicked it into a different gear, it felt like, right? I think that's what really happened in that game. Winnipeg was feeling good when the Avalanche were still trying to figure out their game. The Avalanche still had a lead in the game, and Winnipeg said, all right, we still have a shot. But then the Avalanche kicked it into that gear, and like I mentioned at the top of the show, they just decided that they're going to start playing the second half of the game, and then the wheels got blown (laughs) off, and by the third period, you just felt like Winnipeg threw their hands up and said, can we just get out of here? They didn't even pull him. Yeah, exactly. It was just, let's just get out of here. Screw it. We're not going to put in our backup and have him deal with this as well. Let's just get out of here and and, and do what we can. So in that game, the power play went uh, three for four. So obviously it's easy to score seven goals when your power play is buzzing like that. So I guess that's a good way to to balance it, right? They go three for four one night, the next night they go 0 for four. It's not a surprise there because we're big numbers guys here, as you could tell from this episode. And that's just the way the numbers work out. Three for eight in two games and you won both. That's all that matters. Man, what else happened the in PK that is an issue. Game? The PK is going to be a little bit of an issue, but the power play seems fine, if you ask me. No issues with the fact that they went 0-4 against Toronto. I'm trying to go back and remember what, you know, what other notable things happened in that Winnipeg game, and I can't really think of, of much, <laughs> right? It was just they really it was just it was just a dominate dominating game. It was like you said, it was a Landeskog hat trick. It was the Eric Johnson starting the scoring with that slapper from the point. Um 
Nathan McKinnon's five or four assists and, and the fact that he got a goal finally and broke through was late in the third. That's pretty much it. Darcy Campbell, uh, Darcy Campbell, Darcy Kemper looked good. Uh, so it was just, again, it was, it was, it's hard to think back because there's so many freaking goals, man. The Avalanche have been back for four games. They've got 21 goals, I think. Four against the Ducks, seven against the Maple Leafs, or five against the Maple Leafs, seven against the Jets, and four against the Blackhawks. Eight, seven, 15, 20. 20 goals in four games. What a team. Yeah, and going into into that game, you know, the podcast we did right before, you said you were waiting for 10 goals. I thought you were going to get them right away, and I said I was waiting for a shutout where we were one goal short of it in that Winnipeg <laughs> game. But that one goal that Darcy Kemper led up, if you remember, you and I looked at each other in the press box, and we said, what, oh, why didn't he, the power play why goal, didn't he yeah. not try for that? Because he kind of just seemed to have lost the puck. It was a rebound that went right to Shifley, and it just looked like yeah. Kemper was like, ah, that one's that You one's kind of were like... Here's Shifley skating up from, you know, right above the other circle. And he's got this open look at the net and the puck is sitting there. And you're looking at Darcy and you're waiting for him to kick off the pad and come to this side. And it just never happened. It was really strange. It kind of maybe we were processing it a little bit slower than what it happened in real time. But I mean, we were watching it in real time. I don't know. It was really strange, but he he got his you know game together and he he played well. I mean, he only let in the one goal and the Jets had a few chances. So, you know if the bad in Toronto is going to get called out, the good against Winnipeg is also going to get called out. And he had a good game on, on Thursday. Um, one other thing I wanted to point out from that Winnipeg game was, uh, I think it was a JT Comfort penalty where he got called for a hook where he was laying down on the ice and had his stick stretched out. And to me, it looked more like a trip, but they're calling a lot of hooks right now. And it looks like there's a, you know, an obvious mental shift from the referees to call a lot more hooks and a lot more stick plays. And I think we even saw a hooking penalty that, you know, could have been uh, let go last night, too. So, you know, are, are you seeing tighter hooks or what, what do you think the refs are doing with there? I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm just seeing the same old uh, inconsistent. Sometimes we're going to keep the whistles in our pockets and sometimes we're going to call penalties that we've been seeing for the last few years. It's it's really strange. I can't really put a put a finger on what's going to be a penalty. Um, I think the one you're referring to yesterday maybe was the Troy Brody and uh, or TJ Brody and, and Nazem Kadri thing late in the game where one got an interference and the other got embellishment. But mm-hmm. it's I don't know. The refing is is too inconsistent. It's is consistently inconsistent for me to find any consistency other than <laughs> the inconsistency that it is. <laughs> right on, right on. Well, let's look ahead. Uh, we got Seattle next. That's something we've been waiting for for a couple weeks now. A couple reunions there. Plus, Seattle hasn't played a game in a handful of... Uh, I don't even remember last time. I, I know they've got a handful of games that have been po- postponed. So, uh, as you mentioned, Pavel Francouz expected to get the start, but Seattle in town, not supposed to be a challenge for the Avalanche, but those are the most dangerous games, right? Uh, yeah, those are the ones where you're going to have to wake up for, but I think this team is well past losing to bad teams. We've seen it for the last three years. The Avalanche do a good job of playing well against good teams. Um, it looks like, so the Kraken haven't talked or talked, haven't played since January 1st. So it'll be nine days between games for them today on their website. They put up a media availability with Philip Grubauer talking about getting back into game mode, heading into Colorado. You usually don't let a goalie speak unless he's starting. So I would assume, especially given the fact that he's their $5.9 million starting goalie and they haven't played in nine days, that Gruby's going to get the start at Ball Arena. And uh, the Seattle Kraken are going to have Gruby going up against his former running mate in Pavel Francouz of the Avalanche. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch that. Fun fact, I forgot who I saw tweet this, but it looked like 
Grubauer switched his pads up. He was wearing the true pads, and they were all cool Seattle Kraken colors, and he switched back to his CCMs that he was wearing last year. Not the same ones, just the same style. So he's got them now in Seattle Kraken colors. So it looks like he you know, was maybe pointing the finger at his equipment change, but I was always wondering, actually, during his time in Colorado, because he was always a Lefebvre goalie, right? And Lefebvre was the one that started making true pads about two years ago. And he never made that switch for some reason. He stuck with CCM. This year, he finally made the switch. Apparently didn't like it. I don't know. Just a fun thing that I noticed today uh, while sc- scrolling through the timeline. If if it's something that's going to maybe bring his game back to where it was last year, then all the better for him. But uh I don't know. I think that's what he's hoping for. That's what he's hoping for. But let's take a look at the Seattle Kraken lines at practice today. Top line of Marcus Johansson, Jared McCann, and Jordan Eberle. Second line of Colin Blackwell, Yanni Gord, and Callie Yarncroak. Third line of Mason Appleton, Morgan Geeky, and uh, Donato. I forget his first name. And a fourth line of Shane, Donskoy, and McCormick. Donskoy's on their fourth line because he hasn't scored a freaking goal this year. Their defense is a little bit better, but it's still Giordano, Alexiak, Larson, Susie, Borgen, and Dunn, and Grubauer, and Dreger, and Nett. It's not a good team, man. I don't know what the hell they were doing in that expansion draft, <laughs> but they could have had Vladimir Tarasenko. They could have had, I don't want to say Carey Price because he's not even playing right now, but I, I, it's it's a question mark what they did with that expansion draft. They're not a good team in the Avalanche. This might be the night they get 10, and I feel really bad for Philip Grubauer, but I feel good for Pavel Francouz because it's nice for him to get a good one, an easy one coming up here. Yeah, Colorado's really got to turn it into a track and meet, this is, right? And this is going to be a hot take to expose and the Avalanche find a way to blow it. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm saying. They got to turn it into a track meet if they want to win because I think Seattle's really built for a physical style game, something that, that they want to keep to like a 3-2-2-1 a, a style. But if the Avalanche just play their game and, you know, play a north-south really quick game, that I think they can easily score 10 goals on them. And maybe we see the first shutout of the year. And it's Pavel Francouz, it's not Kemp- Kemper. I know, it's it's <laughs> it's not Kemper, it's not Johansson, it's pa- it's not Jed Alexander, it's Pavel Francouz. But uh, the uh, Seattle Kraken let in way too many goals to keep games at 3-2. That's their problem, and it's they just they don't have the manpower, man. They don't have a good team. I know Philip Grubauer's stats suck, but whose would be good on that team? Definitely. Definitely. It takes it takes six players to play goalie. You can't throw it all on, on Philip Grubauer here. So I guess winding down the podcast, we really spent the brunt of this beauty uh, talking about that Toronto game because that was an amazing game and just a, a good NHL product. The Winnipeg game, not so much. 7-1 to one, kind of a snoozer. So let's get into the Mile High Sports three stars of the week like we tend to do here on a Sunday episode brought to you by Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. We got to go to star number three to Kale freaking McCarr, just what he's doing lighting up the nhl and turning heads scoring goals i mean hey we've seen amazing plays out of him since he started in the nhl but the fact that he's scoring at the pace that he is has really shown that he's elevated his game to a level we still haven't seen from him which is amazing because the level we were seeing out of him was already really good (laughs) yeah i mean starting off with these three stars by the way it's one of those things where no matter who you pick i mean you can literally pick anybody and it'll make sense given the way the Avalanche have played this week. But Kel McCarr's 15 goals is the most through 30 games that any player has had since 1988-89. His 15 goals are also the fifth most any Avalanche defenseman has had in a full season. Sandus Ozilinch had 16 in 2000. 
Rob Blake had 16 in 2002. Rob Blake had 17 in 2003. And back to Sandus Ozelinch with 23 in 1997. So he's eight goals away from breaking the Avalanche record for most goals in a season. And he's got 15 goals in, in I think, 29 games, not even 30 games. It's it's incredible what he's doing. Um, but he earns the third stars because he scored a beauty of a goal against Toronto. And he scored an outrageously amazing goal against the Chicago Blackhawks. And by the way, he's only played 27 games. And the things he's doing are, are just getting the Avalanche recognition right now, right? It's not so much yep. Nathan McKinnon's million assists that he's putting up right now. It's the the individual play by Kale McCarr that's getting the highlights. It's getting the, uh, just like I said, turning heads across the uh, hockey world. So, um, you know, for that reason, I think he deserves quite the shout out from us. 27 games is exactly, well, not exactly, because it's, you know, exactly one third, uh, not of a season, but of 81 games. So if you multiply that 27 by 3, it's 81 games, which is the closest you're going to get to 82. He's got 15 goals and 15 assists. So he's on pace, not that he's going to play 82 games, but over an 82-game stretch of 45 goals and 45 assists. This is a defenseman that we're talking about. He's played 128 games. In his first 101 games, he had 20 goals. In his last 27 games, he's got 15. He's unbelievable. The things he's doing is like genuinely generational. Because unlike the guys that came before him and Eric Carlson and Scott Niedermeyer and Nick Lindstrom and all these guys, he's doing it with goals. And that's not something you usually see a defenseman do. And I also, I mean, everybody points out his edge work, right? And the way he skates. But yeah. the fact that he's making former NHLers and these guys that have seen some of the greatest NHL players to ever live, he's making those guys drop their jaws, I think really tells you about how unprecedented of a player this guy really is. There's not much that can't be said about him. He's, And the fact that he's doing it, it's not just that he's scoring goals. We've seen guys like Mike Green do it. We've seen other defensemen score goals. It's the fact that he is a well-rounded defenseman that's going to win Norris trophies. That's one of the better defensemen in his zone and still improving at that and still pitching in offensively. He's got... I believe it's four games under a po- four points under a point per game in his career. 124 points in 128 games. How long is it going to take him to you know get back into a point per game pace for his whole career? All he needs is a couple of three point efforts here, and he's suddenly a point per game pace over his entire career. Something that even Nathan McKinnon didn't do through his first hundred games. It's incredible what this kid is doing. Incredible. That brings us to star number two. We're giving it to Gabriel Landeskog, not only for the hat trick, but he's got six points in the last two games, with four of those being goals. And I, what I liked about it most is a lot of these goals he scored recently, um, you know, he's kind of doing it in a Kale McCarr fashion where he's not celebrating, right? He's burying home some uh, garbage in front of the net, and he's just saying, yep, that's what I do. Yesterday against Toronto, you saw him get a little bit more, I guess, uh, animated, but against Winnipeg during that hat trick it was just kind of more put my head down doing what i'm supposed to do got my lunch pail you know i I, i'm convinced that if he wasn't in the nhl he'd be a construction worker somewhere just doing blue collar work right (laughs) that's the kind of guy he is and this is a good time to plug a stat that i was waiting till the end of the show to share but this is a good time to mention it gabe landeskog's got 35 points in 26 games which holy shit but that's 1.35 points per game and it's the seventh best in the NHL. Now here points per game. Points per game. Seventh best in the entire NHL. But on the Avalanche, he's fourth best. 
<laughs> so the top seven guys in the NHL in points per game and points per game matter because injuries have happened. COVID has happened and some teams have played seven or eight games more than others. So if Max Patrick, well, not that Patrick he's played every game, but the Vegas Golden Knights have played seven games more than the Avalanche. So if somebody on Vegas has more points than somebody on the Avalanche, well, yeah, you've played seven games more. So points per game matters more than ever this season. Number two in the NHL is Connor McDavid at 1.61. Just a little bit better than him at 1.62 is Nathan McKinnon. Number four in the NHL is Leon Dreisaitl at 1.56. Just a little bit better than him is Nazem Kadri at 1.57. Number six in the NHL is Alex Ovechkin at 1.42. And just a little bit better than him at 1.43 is Miko Rantanen. And then sitting in seventh place is Gabe Landeskog. So McDavid's been having a hell of a year. McKinnon's doing just a little bit more than him. Drysaddle's having a hell of a year. Kadri's doing just a little bit more than him. Ovechkin has kind of turned back the clock, and Miko Ranton's doing just a little bit more than him. And these guys have done it playing far less minutes than their competition, like way less. Nazem Kadri's playing 18 minutes a night compared to almost 23 for Drysaddle. Miko Rantanen's playing two minutes less than Alex Ovechkin. Nathan McKinnon's playing a minute less than the other guy in McDavid. It is unreal what this team is doing. And that doesn't even include the fact that you can do the same thing on the defensive side and see Kale McCarr and Devon Taves in the top three among defensemen in points per game. But that brings me back to third star of the week. Gabe Landeskog's got a 1.35 points per <laughs> or points per game pace. It is the fourth best on the avalanche, but seventh best in the NHL. You make me wish that the playoffs were starting tomorrow, right? With the right? with how good the Avalanche are playing right now, the last thing you want is for the rest of the season to slow them down. So, uh, yeah, they're operating at an awesome clip right now. So it's, it's insanity. That brings us to star number one. We got to give it to our friend Pavel Francouz for getting back in the game and not only getting his first win in a long time, but taking control of things, right? I mean, it was not an easy situation to get into, and he, uh, you know, really t- just handled it well. Again, I think the the mental side of it was what I was most impressed on, and I think that's something that I had questioned for the last what two years since we hadn't seen him, that how, how was the mental side of him ha- hanging in there and keeping sharp, right? Because that's not something that you can just simply practice easily, game-like situations for a goaltender. So uh, the fact that he's... Back to, uh, hopefully, back to the to the level that we're used to seeing from him. Uh, I think we're, we're ready for it. I love it. Go, Pavel. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that, you know, what you just mentioned, you nailed it on the head there. It's the fact that, like, we're all waiting for Pavel Francouz to be the savior to give the Avalanche tandem goaltending again. And it's like, he hasn't played in almost two years. Who the hell says he's going to be that good again? Mm-hmm. But what he did yesterday was prove that he can settle back into what he is and Man, he's so much smaller than Kemper and Johansson and even Annan. I was looking down at him yesterday. I'm like, he's a tiny guy. And I always almost forgot just how small this guy is. But he looked good. I don't want to say incredible, but he looked pretty damn good. And 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 if he gets into a groove and starts to look like the Pavel Francouz we saw in 2019-20, that's a guy that had better stats than Philip Grubauer. We often forget that. Yeah, Grubauer won the or almost won the Vezina the very following season and had an incredible year. But Pavel Francouz, when both of them were playing on the same team, both healthy, had better numbers than Philip Grubauer. He's a good goalie. If he can get back to that level, he is going to be outstanding and might even get into some playoff games again. You never know. But shout out to Pavel for that. Shout out to him for getting the win. And shout out to him for just enjoying it. Enjoying every minute. 
enjoying it, taking it minute by minute, and just loving being back to playing hockey. It's what he does best and what he misses most. Yeah, you know, it was a hard journey for him, a lot like Bo and Byram, right? Sometimes you're questioning, am I even going to make it back? Am I even, and when I do get back, am I going to be at the level that I expect out of myself? So this last uh, this last group of months for Pavel Francouz had to be a lot of ups and downs. So to him come out of it with a with an up and, and feeling good about himself moving forward, you just can't ask for anything more. So uh, that'll do it for today's podcast, Arif. Let's get your closing thoughts before we wrap it up for these fine folks and uh, let them get about their week. It's going to be the same thing that I've been closing the episode with lately. It's... Uh like and subscribe to our podcast on Apple, on Google, or anywhere else that you listen, and leave those reviews, especially on iTunes and Apple. Leave those five-star reviews and just share a couple comments of what you like or think is great or funny or goofy about our podcast. I'd love to read them. I'd love to see them. And those things matter a lot in the grand scheme of things in terms of building this podcast, which it's grown exponentially over the last year, but we've got a lot more growth to go. Yep, and uh, two back-to-back sets here for the Avalanche. We'll come to you again midweek and uh, check in and break down the Seattle and Nashville games here. So um, that being said, thanks to everyone for hanging out with us. You know, we appreciate every single one of you. Thank you to Patrick, of course, for hanging with us and making us sound pretty. And, of course, thank you to Total Beverage for being on board and being an amazing sponsor. If you made it this far in the podcast, bless your pretty little heart. Hockey's for everyone, and we out to you.